my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want to make sure you can stretch every dollar as we deal with the effects of coronavirus on our economy. And one area that has been a big source of questions to us for the last two and a half weeks has been the money that is available as emergency funding for businesses that was adopted in the third stimulus law that included a new federal program called the Paycheck Protection Program and then enhancements to other efforts to assist businesses, including uh, another loan that had been around for a while but used now for a different purpose for businesses dealing with coronavirus, and that's the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. And the questions have been coming in so fast to Clark.com slash ask, and the answers are not that easy to come by. So we now have with us, and we're so happy to have with us, the regional administrator in Region 4, which is the Southeast United States, Ashley Bell. And it's so great to have you, Mr. Bell, with us on the Clark Howard Show, where right from the source, from you at the SBA, you can talk about some of the issues people are having with trying to apply for loans for their business. So, well, Clark, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that, and we'd love to talk about uh, our progress to make sure these loans are getting out of the door as soon as possible. So let's start with one of the hardest things that's been the funnel to get through, which is small businesses desperate to keep their doors open, trying to get the Paycheck Protection Program loans. And, uh, you know, we're hearing from people that are calling bank after bank after bank, and they say either they're not SBA-approved lenders or they're only doing loans for a select few people that have specific business relationships with the bank. Credit unions don't seem to be saying that, but that seems to be something that's happening at the banks. What should a business owner do where they feel like, no matter where they call, the door's being slammed in their face? You know, that's a great question, Clark. And I, I want to say that, you know, as a small business owner myself, since I was 21, I totally understand the frustrations that can happen when you're trying to find access to capital when you need it. And there's no more of a very uh, pressing time than right now to, to try to get access to capital. You know, you're right. Many of the banks are ha- have already exceeded or met their capacity to participate in this program that they've set for themselves. This program only works if the banks are able to have the delegated authority from SBA to make eligibility determinations at the the local uh, lender level and to disseminate the funds at the lender lender level to make those approvals. So because of that, the banks are are able to run the show. And so what what we're seeing is that some banks have met their capacity and lenders are saying, look, you know, I, I, I may have met my capacity at this time. Uh, and borrowers are saying, well, where do I go now? So exactly to your point. So what SBA is doing, you can call your local SBA office, and, that, and you can go to sba.gov and go to the office as closest to you. And what our offices are doing is that we're, we're, every day we're calling banks and learning who exactly is still taking applications from the community bank level, from the credit union level. And as we learned, and as we look to bring on more banks, because the, the answer here is to not is, is to bring more people to the table, bring more banks to the table. So we're rapidly processing new CDFIs, um, community development uh, foundation 
uh, uh, banks, and we're rapidly processing new fintechs. So when you open it up to CDFIs and you open it up to fintechs, uh, you're going to see more opportunities for you to be able to participate in this program. And make sure you stay in touch with SBA.gov. Go to your state, your district office, and see who are the latest lenders that are participating in the PPP program. So I have a question for you about the fintechs. One of the things that we've had questions about from uh, business owners is they'll go to a fintech site and they'll have a button there where you can go uh, fill out the basic application for the Paytech Paycheck Protection Program, but then down below it'll say we're not an approved SBA lender. So were they basically just holding people's information as prospects, waiting for approval from you at the SBA to participate? Yes, that could be the case. They could be in, in anticipation trying to get their clientele together, but that's if someone is not an official SBA lender, please make sure that you, you know, check with us on our website to make sure they are before you give your information to anybody. Because, Clark, as you know, you do such great work around protecting people from scams and from fraud. You definitely want to make sure if you're going to a bank that's not someone you know, that you check with SBA to make sure they're an official SBA lender. Uh, and I wouldn't give my information to someone who actually is not a uh, participant in the program. So after I, so I find a real one. And I submit that initial very, very short form that amazingly only takes like six minutes for a business to fill out and submit. I then wait in queue, and then I hear back from someone, hopefully in a reasonable period of time, from the bank or credit union, who then tells me what other stuff they want. So as far as documentation. So we're hearing vast differences from one business to another. What an individual financial institution is requiring from them of documentation and i thought the whole idea of this was that it was supposed to be ultra streamlined is it that banks can add extra requirements if they want for documentation or they just not yet really understand how this paycheck protection program is supposed to work well i think this is where you also have to find a bank that's in the program but someone who understands it well uh, you know, people, we had a nonprofit today I just talked to that applied for the PPP program on Thursday of last week, and they have money in their account today, and it was over half a million dollars. And that was a nonprofit, as you know, the nonprofits are eligible as well. The key for, the, for that particular situation is making sure you have a bank that is fully automated. The, the distinctions between the bank is who has automated this system in their banks. Uh, the reality is that this system is meant to be automated. You're not supposed to be doing one application at a time. It's just too many applications to process because the demand is so high. So banks that have the ability to fully automate are the ones that are quickly processing these applications. So that may be a question you want to ask your bank is, uh, are they automated enough to just process the application or what would they need from you? Uh, those and, and many smaller banks now we're working with to help them automate their systems but some of the mid-sized larger banks, the reason that they have met their max and they're not lending any more money out is because they were automated going into the system. The moment we turned on the green light, they processed all their uh, their folks and they got them paid and that was it for them. So the rest of the banks who are not automated are taking a little bit more time, but we're working with them. But ultimately the quickest turnaround is for a bank to have a fully automated system by which they can uh, correspond with SBA. So it requires a lot of trial and error from a business owner. they got to just keep digging at this to find an institution that's willing to take their application and one that has the automated processes they really need to push this application through. 
Well, I think that you, you definitely need to call SBA and go to SBA.gov to get a list of banks that are still taking applicants. And I think when you find one that is taking applicants, I think every day is better than the day before. I think every day business, uh, banks are like businesses. They learn from mistakes. They learn how to be more efficient. And we, we're not even 10 days into this process yet. So I think that every day you're going to find every bank a little bit more efficient, a little quicker, a little more nimble uh, in getting their information from you as a borrower and to SBA to make sure you're signed up for the program. So I, I think that we're on a very big trajectory. Lots of loans have been dispersed. Uh, billions of dollars have gone out the door. We just need to open up to more people. And how we do that is bringing more banks and more lenders to the table by increasing the CDFIs, increasing the fintechs, but then also making sure that people know about this program. And that's why I appreciate you letting us come on today to talk about it and contact your SBA district office to find out who is the latest uh, participant in our program that you can contact to get your application process. So um, something that starts Friday for the payroll protection plan is where sole proprietors, self-employed, can apply, but they're totally puzzled if they're better off applying for an economic injury disaster loan, the pre-existing program that's been enlarged for coronavirus, or are they best off in the payroll protection program? How does somebody who's, um, I guess, for purposes of this discussion, let's call them a micro-business, how does a micro-business decide which loan program makes the most sense? How would you guide them? Well, I would guide anyone who looks at this, a micro-business or otherwise, to look at both of these options as potentially complementary and not exclusive. I think that when you look at the payroll protection program, uh, that primarily goes to cover payroll. So whether you're an independent contractor or sole proprietor, that will go to cover your personal income that you make at your business, but also some of your overhead. You can use both loans. You just can't use them for the same thing. So if you're going to use the payroll protection program to cover your income, your payroll for yourself or your employees, you can't use that same loan uh, for the idle program, which is, which is the disaster loan. But you can use that to pay other overhead expenses. And the key is that your overhead expenses under the idle program have to be the 75-25 split, which means if you get a $100,000 loan on the payroll protection program, $75,000 of that has to go towards payroll. The goal here is to reduce the millions of people who are unemployed right now. That is the spirit of this law to get people back employed. So only 25,000 of that remaining 100 will be able to be used for overhead. So if you know you have expenses to go beyond that 25%, it may be a good idea to look at the idle. It may be a good idea um, uh, to, to, to take a look at that and see if that's the best place to sit that obligation over a longer period of time. So uh, do I, correct me if I'm wrong, the, uh, the idle loan is one you apply for directly with the SBA, or do you also have to find a bank or credit union to do that one? No, you're exactly right. The, the IDA loan is directly from the federal government, which is why the interest rate is fixed and why you have such incredible um, flexibility there. So, for example, with that same opportunity I just uh, gave you where you get a $100,000 loan and 75 has to go to employees, 25 towards overhead, let's just say you needed another 25 for overhead. Well, you could go and take that 25 and say, I'm going to get a disaster loan. And by going to disaster, you get that loan directly from SBA. If you have over 10 employees, the first $10,000 of that loan is free. So within four, uh, four business days of applying, you can get $10,000 if you have over 10 employees. And that will be reduced from your total loan amount. So you'd only owe $15,000. And what's great about that loan, Clark, is that that $15,000 is left. 
you do not have to make the first payment on that loan for one year. You have a year from the date of the note to make your first payment. And on top of that, the interest rate is locked in at 3.75 no matter what. And to make the cash flow even better for you, you can stretch that loan out for 30 years. All right, so we gotta uh, we gotta circle back to something because there's these rumors on social media that anybody can just go to SBA.gov, apply for an emer- economic injury disaster loan, an idle, and they get a ten thousand dollar no questions asked grant that they can run off and do anything with. Please dispel those rumors. The ten thousand dollars is part of an overall loan package. And you said you have to have how many employees for the advance? Exactly. That's a great point, Howard. I want to clarify that. The goal of this uh, particular legislation, and the president's been emphatic about this, we must get people back to work. We must keep them on payroll. If if government asks you to close down your restaurants, to close down all these different facilities, and so this is our response to help you maintain people on payroll during this time of crisis. So the goal being that as it may, for you to receive the $10,000 advance, you need to apply for an idle disaster loan. And let's use the example again of $25,000. If you have 10 employees, meaning 10 people, that you pay payroll taxes on, then if you have those 10 people on your payroll and you can show that when you apply for a disaster loan, they will give you $10,000 within 72 uh, hours roughly. And that's only for people that have over 10 employees. Now, if you do not have 10 employees, that amount will be reduced uh, in proportion to the lesser amount of employees that you have. So if, you have, if you're a one-person company, you get a $1,000 grant? More or less. Okay. So that's fantastic that you explained that because I cannot tell you how much false information is floating around that this is free money that you just go get no questions asked from the feds, and that is not the case. So It's um, not I, the case, but the money you do not have to pay back. And even if for whatever reason, if you get awarded a 10000 and you meet the criteria of having 10 employees, even if you get denied the loan later, you still don't have to repay that money. That is your money, but you have to meet the criteria. And the spirit of both of these pieces of legislation and these programs is to get people back employed. So we need you to keep your employees on payroll. SBA Administrator Ashley Bell, thank you so much for what you've shared. If you can stick around with us a moment, let's take a couple more questions from listeners. If you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Ashley Bell, the Regional Administrator for Region 4 of the SBA, answering questions you posted about loan relief available for small businesses from the SBA. As far as this backlog of being able, with such a new program, to clear this backlog and businesses that want to apply, being able to, if you were a betting man, how long would you guess that it'll take, uh, Administrator Bell, for businesses that can't make it through the process right now to get through the process? Is this a week? Is this a month? Or how long do you think? Well, I think that I think that's why the disaster loan has to be there, and I, I appreciate you, you know, mentioning that. You should definitely apply for a disaster loan immediately uh, if you are having problems with the PPP, uh, primarily because uh, if you you can roll your disaster loan into the PPP later. So a lot of people are doing that. So you can take your idle loan, the twenty-five thousand dollar loan, hypothetically that you get, you get a, a P, you get approved for the PPP loan later. You can roll that into there to take care of those those expenses. And bankers know how to do that. So 
the first thing you need to do is is to apply for a disaster loan because we know that that uh, you can go directly get that loan from SBA. And uh, one final question, if I could ask you, please. There are people who have say they've applied for the idol and they're saying they haven't heard back from anybody at SBA. Is it taking a while to process that backlog? Well, I know that there was an email sent out and they need to make sure they check uh, their spam folders and other folders that if you did apply in the early stages, so if you have not heard back at all, if you do not have a confirmation number, no number at all, then you definitely want to reapply so you can make sure you have a confirmation number. And that confirmation number is what you should use when interacting with the disaster office to explain to them that you have not heard back just yet. Well, uh, Regional Administrator Ashley Bell of the SBA Region 4, thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge with our listeners that are trying to get these loans for their businesses. Appreciate it very much, and make sure you're getting enough sleep and staying healthy. Thank you, Clark. I appreciate all you do for consumers out there. Best of luck to you, and be safe. Have a great day. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet and how to stretch it right now is we're all being sucker punched by a coronavirus. So Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are working very hard, all the team, to make sure we're giving you information that helps you with stretching every dollar right now, controlling your expenses as best as you possibly can. One thing that people have been asking about as much as what we just addressed earlier with Commissioner Bell of the SBA, uh, I'm sorry, Administrator Bell of the SBA, is unemployment compensation. Because people have been so frustrated trying to make it through the gauntlet of state unemployment compensation to receive the enhanced benefits that states have to now pay based on the third coronavirus stimulus law. And the $600 that the feds are doing is an overlay from the last week of March till the end of July. Uh, So uh, four months of $600 a week on top of normal state unemployment and with new categories of workers included who have never been included in virtually any state in the country other than I think two or three where gig workers self-employed are now eligible for unemployment compensation because of what's happened with jobs just vanishing with coronavirus. So let me give you the latest update on that. The U.S. Department of Labor issued the regulations to the states and the guidelines yesterday afternoon. The states now, depending on how sophisticated their software is, they have to put in new code to write new code to handle the $600. They've got to, the states have to get the funding for all the enhanced unemployment from the feds because states generally don't have that kind of money sitting around for the amount of money that's going to have to be paid out. And then states have to write code that will deal with the new categories of people that are self-employed and independent contractors and gig workers. So we're getting, it's like in football, there used to be an expression, three yards in a cloud of dust. That's kind of where this is, moving the ball down the field 
on unemployment compensation. So people who have traditional jobs that you have lost and you have successfully made it through, if you have, through your state's computer system to file for unemployment, you will start to see that money show up first. Then the second category, people who are independent contractors, self-employed and gig workers, it's going to take longer for you. This is so important that the states put whatever resources they need to and that state agencies lend their employees to state unemployment departments because people have got to have this money. How badly do people have to have this money? Listen to this. A new survey today in the Financial Times of London survey of the U.S. job market finds that 73% of Americans have had their family income cut and almost half say that they have no income coming in at all either because they're unemployed or if they have to stop working because they become ill they're tapped out broke. Now one in four American families have already found their income cut what's categorized in this survey very significantly. And here's one of the most unusual things in the survey that I have never seen in any survey at any time in any recession that's hit the United States. The Financial hit, the decline in income, is showing up in this survey regardless of whether someone was a high-income earner before the coronavirus-related layoffs, a moderate-income earner, or a low-income earner. Across the board, people are being hit very, very hard. And the oddest thing is that the people who made the most and made the least going into the lockdowns because of coronavirus are equally suffering a decline in income. It's the same percent of people that are seeing big declines of income. Roughly 55% of people in those two categories seeing a decline. The middle-income earners have been seeing less of a decline of income so far. But the reality is this is going to be a rough ride for a while, and the money is going to show up, but the psychological harm to people waiting for the unemployment, waiting for business owners getting the SBA loan money, um, getting the banks to pick up the pace, and get those loans done. This is all tough stuff. So that brings me to something else. In the anxiety people are feeling and the stress of the last couple of weeks, I'm seeing posts all over the place about us either already being in or going into another Great Depression. And the reality is there's almost no one left alive today who was even an infant during the Great Depression, a time that was brutal for our country. And obviously no one is alive from the two more uh, severe depressions that led to starvation in the 
1800s and 1873, the first one started, 1893, the second one started. This time, the impact that's immediate is severe, with roughly 30% of the economy just vanishing seemingly overnight. But I will tell you, this is not going to be a repeat of a Great Depression. This is not the big one. And as harsh as it is instantly for so many people right now, we are going to be okay. The recovery will not be what economists call a V. A V is where the economy falls off a cliff and just as quickly comes back up. The economy is going to fall much quicker than the recovery because we're going to go through a slog as we overcome coronavirus. But the deep, deep despair accompanying these huge declines in economic activity, I want you to know that the recovery is going to come better and easier than it would if there were fundamental problems with the underlying economy. That is not the case here. And as harsh as it's been for so many people and as this polling data shows across income levels, we are not going to see a long, long, long time of economic decline and a shrinking economy here in the United States and elsewhere around the world. Uh, it's time to go to your questions that you posted for me at clark.com ask and Producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions. Kim, who do you have a question from right now? All right. Up first is Donna. She says, my daughter is an RN in a local hospital. She is pregnant and she has an autoimmune disorder. Every site is pointing back to the CDC, which states that she is at high risk, but to take normal precautions anyway. The hospital is not providing staff with correct PPE due to a shortage. What are her rights? I am scared for her. So she does have the right to, um, because of the health risk involved, to voluntarily leave her job temporarily to, and go on uh, unemployment. Normally, if you chose to leave a job, you would not be eligible under any state unemployment compensation. But my understanding is that she would be eligible for the enhanced $600 of unemployment per week for four months, plus normal unemployment that her state's normal rules that would invalidate her getting unemployment, she would be eligible in this case. I mean, with an immune disorder, a pregnancy, and working without proper safety gear in a hospital sounds like a recipe for disaster. And so if she can get by on unemployment compensation, that to me seems like the best choice. Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark got one from Michael. He says, I was wondering if you have your bank account on file with the IRS for a direct debit, if that would work the same as setting up for direct deposit. I owed taxes last year and had the money come directly out of my bank account. Yes, the IRS, um, I'm speaking for the IRS here. In theory, your uh, stimulus check should come 
automatically direct deposit into your account because the IRS already has that loaded into their system. So I say in theory because I'm not the IRS and I can't be certain that it will be delivered, but you have done absolutely what is required to receive that direct deposit by already having that account information on hand with the IRS. Kim? Patty says, hi, Clark. I heard that some colleges are giving refunds for on-campus housing fees. Has there been any announcement about rent relief for college students in off-campus apartments? There is none. In, uh, in fact, I have read uh, several articles about this, that there are a number of uh, apartment builders that build as a specialty adjacent to college campuses. Sometimes they were given sweetheart deals by the state university system to build adjacent to universities. Those landlords are providing no accommodations that I have seen anywhere for the students who no longer can attend at campus. So it is hard-hearted and it is a terrible circumstance for people who live on off-campus specialty apartments for college students but to my knowledge the rent legally is required to be paid even though your son or daughter cannot occupy that off-campus apartment joel clark andrew wants to know what are the recent rule changes that happened in regards to rmds Required minimum distributions is what RMD stands for, and it's something that is required of people who turn 70, to 70 and a half years old at a certain point, and with a more recent law change, 72 for others. And each year, you're required, based on your remaining life expectancy as determined by the feds, to pull out a percent of money in your retirement accounts. You do not have to do your RMD for this year. So if you've already done it, you can't undo it. But if you have not done it, there will be no penalties. There'll be no 50% um, penalty tax, any of that. You can just not do this year's withdrawal. People may wonder, huh? Why would I not want to do that mandatory withdrawal? What about money to live on? Thing is, is if you have any other sources of money, you want to avoid doing an RMD because the holdings you have that you normally would take the RMD from have probably declined because of the stock market decline this year. And so being able to have a holiday from doing it is great to protect your future needs and your wallet. Kim? Lauren says, my husband has been laid off due to the pandemic. I let my mortgage company know and they did say that we could go into forbearance for three months. My question is, what happens with the escrow? There's no mention of escrow on the letter they send for approving the forbearance. My fear is after three months, when the city state taxes are due, they'll need $1,000 to cover escrow, which is essentially our house payment. So you've been in the room with some of the banks and mortgage lenders trying to figure this out. They don't know exactly what to do generally about escrows for insurance and taxes. And I imagine you'll get a letter from your lender sometime in the 90-day forbearance saying what they expect of you or how they're going to handle 
making sure property taxes are paid on time is needed and that the homeowner's insurance is paid. You know, the initial thing is get the forbearance in place on your mortgage for the 90 days, and then the details will become clear over these months. And it is my clear expectation that we're not going to be in the deep freeze away from work for a full three months. I don't think the economy can sustain that. And so hopefully you won't need more than the 90 days of forbearance. If you have a question for me, please go to clark.com slash ask and post it. And in our continuing coverage of the economic consequences of coronavirus, Kim and Joel are asking your questions for you. And here's Joel. Clark, question from Sarah. She says, I've been listening to your show for years. I'm looking for guidance on my student loan. I'm a school teacher and aiming for the student loan forgiveness program. How does the pause on federal student loans apply to the student loan forgiveness program? Should I continue to pay as I have been or not? You don't have to pay. You won't have to pay interest on the months that you didn't have to pay. And then in a shockingly positive development, the months that student loans are not being collected for most federal student loans that continues through September, those months that you have actually not made a payment will count towards your 120 months. It is an unusual thing because historically the U.S. Department of Education has played the role of Grinch, not Santa Claus. Kim? Nate says, I am a small business owner and I've been attempting to apply for a PPP loan from the SBA for the last several days. The SBA has a list of banks to apply from on their website, but it seems like every bank that I visit, whenever I visit their website, it's not allowing applications or they're only allowing applications for existing customers. Do you know how long it will be until I'll be able to apply? So I, I wish I could answer that, and I didn't get the clearest answer on that from Administrator Bell with the SBA, because I'm sure they don't know either. The big thing that's going to be needed is non-traditional lenders like fintech companies are going to have to be allowed into the system because they are so automated and they so want to essentially advertise themselves to new customers that I think that's going to be the key over the next two weeks is bringing newer players in that have better computer technology that can get these loans processed and get the money to you and other hardworking small business owners. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. You know, because of what's going on with people's worry about their health, people being isolated, a lot of times lonely, away from family and friends, people whose wallets have been just eaten up by unemployment, or if you own your own business, seeing your revenue decline, a lot of people are suffering emotionally. And you can't just go see a counselor right now. You can't just go see a therapist because we're having to shelter in place. So there was a wonderful, wonderful, thoroughly researched article in USA Today 
if you, a family member or a friend, are feeling really stressed, you're feeling out of sorts, you're feeling depressed, whatever it is, I want you to know, first of all, you're not alone. I think everybody has had difficulty with what's been going on with the disruption of our lives. People have had sleeplessness. People have had what I keep hearing referred to as the COVID-15, that people are eating their way through their anxiety right now. Other people doing the opposite, losing weight, because that's how they process anxiety, is that food suddenly isn't appealing and they're missing meals and not even realizing they're missing them. So I want you to know that states all over the country have waived normal rules and they are allowing telemedicine and all kinds of facets, including in therapy. There are platforms people are using for therapy and these are generally not free, but they're cheap. There are also some that are offering free messaging services. So think about this. If you are really stressed right now, you can't afford to sit down for a full therapy session. You may be able to do the equivalent of an online chat where you just are trying to get strategies to deal with your upset. You know, we in modern life have had things that have happened, the September 11th terrorist attacks, if you're old enough, that that shook you really hard like it shook me. If um, could be the Great Recession, 7, 8, and 9. There are people who go back further with some of the other disruptions. But this one has been harder for people to deal with and process. And the reason it's been harder is that it's a dual thing all at once. We have fear for our health, for our loved ones' health and lives, and we have suddenly from an economy that seemed to be, even though it was slowing and we were maybe headed towards a mild recession, suddenly we're off a cliff in a deep recession. It has led to such a high level of upset in people. And I want to tell you again, we are going to get through this, and we're going to be okay. I know a lot of this is uncertain and upsetting, but we are going to come through this at the other end with the overwhelming number of us being A-okay. But those are just words from me and reassurance from me. If you need to talk to somebody, look at the USA Today article. I think it can give you some places to go get help. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. And there's been a source of continuing feedback to me of extreme frustration from people dealing with your mortgage company. Now, I've told you that most of us with mortgages who have suffered a loss of a job or loss of pay are eligible for mortgage forbearance most of us not all of us but when you call your mortgage company the lenders have been very 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 difficult to deal with and over and over again 
I've both heard from people and then I've read stories where people have said that their mortgage lender said, yeah, yeah, well, we'll, we'll give you forbearance for two months or three months, but, you know, then you're going to owe us all that money plus that next month's payment all at once, or we're going to proceed with foreclosure. I mean, it's been cold, unbelievably so. But the thing is, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have said that lenders have to give forbearance and that the programs are designed so that if your loan is behind the curtain underwritten by either of them, that you get the forbearance for, if you need it, six months and then potentially six months more. And then there will be a workout on how you pay the missed payments, typically by extending the length of your loan. But they're not going to have the regulations for the banks ready till potentially, okay, I don't know how this is possible, something I read today, they're not going to have it ready till July 1st? How does it take from April to July to send the guidance to the mortgage companies how they're supposed to handle it? So what I'm recommending for now is a couple of things. One, you can find out at Fannie Mae's website or Freddie Mac's website whether or not your loan behind the curtain is one of theirs. Very simple form where you put in your personal information, your date of birth, your social, make sure you're actually at FNMA, you know, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's websites and go through that procedure and they'll tell you if your loan's done by them. And if it is, you'll know that you're going to be eligible for their forbearance protections. And that gives you more ammunition when you talk to your lender. Take the initial two or three months to buy time and then let the banks figure out how they're going to handle it from there. The most important thing right now is to forestall any foreclosure action against you and not have to make payments if you can't right now. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.